Each podcast here on Covenant Key moves us closer and closer to the eve of destruction, which is the neuronic persecution and the outbreak of the war in Judea. Uh, we're looking at events today in this podcast, which occurred in AD 63, just months before the neuronic persecution broke out, and only a couple of years before the war broke out in Judea. Uh, today, in our time, uh, we not, may not be on the eve of destruction, although that's debatable with all the events that are happening in our uh, politics at this point, but uh, they certainly were on the eve of destruction in the first century, and that's what we're going to look at tonight in our uh, podcast here. I want to remind all of our listeners, uh, before we get too far started here, that there's a PDF lesson outline available for all of our podcasts. And there's always extra material and information and sources listed in those PDFs that we do not cover here on the podcast. And most listeners prefer to have it open in front of them as they listen. So uh, if you'd like to get that, it's not posted on the Covenant Key website, however. Uh, But I'd be delighted to send it to you if you simply email me and request it. Now, some of you have already... uh, requested those to be sent to you automatically. And I have a list of folks who will automatically receive the PDF right after each podcast is recorded so that they don't have to request it each time. So if you'd like to be on the list to receive it automatically without having to request it each time, just simply email me and say that you want to be put on my PDF list. My email address is preterist1, and that's the number one, not spelled out, uh, preterist1 at preterist.org. Now let's ask God for his guidance in our study here. Our Heavenly Father, we again ask you for your guiding hand upon the leaders of this nation who have forsaken your ways. We pray that our fellow Americans will wake up and turn back to you in repentance before this nation plunges further into the abyss of unsustainable debt and tyranny. Use these historical studies to teach us the mistakes of the past so that we can avoid them in the future. We praise your holy name for your servant, Apostle Paul, who literally gave his life to spread your gospel in every nook and cranny of the Roman world, in the first century. May all who listen to these podcasts be inspired to greater service in your kingdom by looking at his amazing example of faithfulness in the midst of terrifying persecution and unspeakable hardship. It is in the name of our precious Savior Jesus and your glorious Son that we pray. Amen. If you have benefited from these studies, we would encourage you to become partners with us in this teaching and publishing ministry in order to share in all the good fruit that comes from it. Those who contribute to International Preterist Association will receive some of our latest and greatest resources as our gift to you. Simply go to our website and click on the left sidebar button entitled Make a Donation to IPA where you can make a one-time donation or contribute monthly. Our website address is www.preterist, 
www.ghostsandmysteries.org. You can also make a donation through PayPal. Our PayPal address is preterist1 at preterist.org. In our study last time, we began looking at the activities of Apostle Paul after his release from his first Roman imprisonment in the spring of A.D. 63. We noticed last time that there are some real ambiguities and obscurities surrounding Paul's travels and activity after his release from his first Roman imprisonment. And I promised you that this next session tonight uh, that we will try to sort out all those obscurities and try to make sense out of them. And so uh, we'll, we'll do that. Uh, I think that's a worthy goal, and it's not easy, of course. And I spent a lot of time this week trying to track all this stuff down, and you'll get the benefit of it. What we're doing here is historical reconstruction. And in layman's terms, that's educated guesswork. And it's about what it is. Uh, you really take an educated guess at it, stab in the dark, shooting at a moving target. There are a lot of historical and geographical facts scattered through Paul's three pastoral epistles, First and Second Timothy and Titus, which we can use to reconstruct the sequence of events that we're looking at here in AD 63, after Paul was released from his first Roman imprisonment. To put all this together for you, I ransacked several chronological works on Paul. I have about a dozen of them here in my library, plus all the online and electronic sources that I have on my computer. I had to use my maps, my timelines, and a special Excel chart that I constructed which shows the locations and movements of Paul and his co-workers throughout his missionary journeys. I studied J.B. Lightfoot's essays on Paul's travels after the close of the book of Acts, as well as Arthur Ogden's chronology, Frank Viola's theories, as well as about a half dozen other uh, theories and harmonies of Paul's life and travels that I have available to me here. One of the prime reasons why Paul does not spell out all the details of his travel plans in his books is because it was not safe to do so. There were Jewish persecutors stalking him everywhere he went. That is why he sent his letters with couriers who could fill in the details verbally after they safely arrived at those churches. He didn't dare put those things in writing. It wasn't safe to do so. There's simply too many unknowns, however, uh, gaps in information which we don't have access to, which the couriers probably did, but we don't have access to that information because it was delivered verbally to them, and therefore we have to go by what we have written, and that's all we can go with. Uh, and it's very hard to construct a definite itinerary for Apostle Paul based on the skimpy facts that he gives us in his books. All we can do is lay out the facts that he gives us and compose some possible theories that harmonize with all of those facts. 
and I've come up with some stuff here that I think probably will do that, uh, and I'll give those uh, ideas to you here. And I'm always open to a better explanation, though, so if any of you have come up with a, a better way to explain all these facts that we see in Paul's writings, uh, please share those with me. Email me and let me know about it. We're going to begin here with uh, March of the year 63 A.D. when Paul was released from his prison, his first imprisonment, and look at his travels after he was released. We know from Paul's epistle to the Romans that he ultimately intended to do mission work in Spain. We know that from Romans chapter 15, verse 24 and 28, where he explicitly says that's his intention. It appears that he still had that plan after his release from his first imprisonment. From his epistles to the Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, it seems that he planned to visit them right after his release in order to raise funds for his trip to Spain following in the spring. In those prison epistles, Paul stated that he planned to go to Philippi after his release, but we do not know if that was his first destination or merely one of his stops along the way. From that, from the tidbits of information that Paul gives us in his three pastoral epistles, it appears that Paul did not go to Macedonia first, but rather took a circular route through Crete, Corinth, Miletus, Colossae, Ephesus, Troas, Philippi, and then back to Corinth, Miletus, and Asia. And I believe he ended his journey there in Asia, and we'll talk more about that. I believe he was arrested while he was there in Asia at the end of that uh, uh, period of time when he was trying to raise his funds traveling through all those churches. In April of 63, after Paul had left Rome with Timothy and Titus, I believe they went to Crete, where he dropped off Titus and left him there on the island of Crete to organize the churches there, appoint elders in every church and uh, get them organized, evidently for fundraising so that they would provide support for him on his trip to Spain that was coming up. Then Paul and Timothy moved on from Crete after they dropped Titus off there and probably went to nearby Corinth, which was not very far away, uh, in order to give the church there in Corinth advance warning about his intentions to come back through there later to raise funds for his trip to Spain. At least that's the way it seems to me. And then after that, after they dropped by Corinth to give them advance warning about his intentions to come back through to earn or to, to raise some funds, then I believe Paul and Titus, or Timothy, Paul and Timothy, uh, went to Colossae to fulfill his commitment to Philemon that he had mentioned in his prison epistle to Philemon, where he would come by. Colossae and spend some time with Philemon there. And I believe that's what they did the next thing here after they left Corinth. And it seems most likely that 
Paul wrote the epistle to Titus while he was in Corinth before going to Colossae because it would have been easy to get it back to uh, Titus if it, if it was written right there in Corinth. It would be quickly and easily uh, accessible by a courier to send it back across there. But he could have also waited until he got to Colossae to write it, but it was written not long after he left Titus on Crete uh, because of the uh, statements in the book of Titus indicate that it was not long after he had left Titus there. So it was either in Corinth or Colossae that he wrote the epistle to Titus. And it's interesting that in our New Testament, Titus is listed third in that group of three pastoral epistles. There's first and second Timothy first, and then you have Titus. But I believe they were written in reverse order. Uh, I believe Titus was written before first Timothy was. And of course, second Timothy was written after first Timothy. So I believe Titus was first here. And Paul wrote Titus about his plan to spend the winter at Nicopolis after he had traveled through all those churches raising his support for the missionary trip to Spain. And he tells Titus that uh, he will eventually send Artemis or Tychicus back to Crete to replace Titus so that Titus can join him in Nicopolis and evidently uh, Titus would then go with Paul to Spain. Well, that all never materialized because evidently Paul was arrested before he ever got to Nicopolis and definitely before he ever got to go to Spain. After Paul and Timothy left Corinth, they went to Colossae where they met up with Tychicus and Artemis who had remained in Colossae preparing for Paul's visit there and arrival. It does not seem that Paul stayed in Colossae for very long, probably a few weeks at the most. Then he headed back toward Ephesus to drop off Timothy and then on up to the western coast of Turkey toward Troas. And that, that probably happened in about May of 63 A.D., the beginning of the summer. And then in the next month, after arriving in Troas, probably around June of 63, he left his cloak and his books and parchments there with Carpus, evidently a member of the church there, and headed off toward Philippi over in Macedonia, and evidently intending to come back through Troas later and pick up his belongings before he headed to Nicopolis for the winter. However, as we learn from Second Timothy, he never got back to Troas to pick them up. He was arrested before he got back there. So he went over to Philippi from Troas and spent some time there, probably not real long, but uh, probably a few weeks. The church in Philippi was always faithful. While he was in prison in Rome the first time, they had sent uh, 
support to Paul on several different occasions. I mean, he was they were the most faithful church for Paul in, in his uh, tough circumstances. They were always there for him and always supporting him and taking care of him. He could count on them to supply his needs for his upcoming trip to Spain as well. And he knew that, and that's why he made sure he made the rounds and got to them so that he could uh, let them supply his needs for his trip to Spain. Even though the other churches in Asia evidently turned away from him and would not help Paul, he knew he could count on the church there in Philippi to help him out, as would the church in Corinth as well. I believe Corinth is probably a pretty faithful church in that regard, and probably Ephesus as well. So there was at least three churches, and maybe even Colossians where Philemon was. Philemon probably would would help him out on his trip as well. So he had several sources of uh, support there in that area of Turkey and Greece and uh, Macedonia that could help him. And he was making the rounds uh, after he was released from prison uh, to prepare for his trip to Spain. Well, it was probably here in Philippi that Paul wrote his first epistle to Timothy, known as First Timothy, uh, because it was evidently shortly after he had dropped Timothy off in Ephesus. Uh, it, it seems that way because if you read through First Timothy, it wasn't long after it. Uh, it seems like he had just left him there in Ephesus not long before that and is writing back to him, urging him to... Uh, to be faithful in his preaching work there and and uh, raising up elders, etc., to stabilize that church. Uh, there was a lot of false teaching going on there in Ephesus, and Paul urges Timothy not to be um, afraid and timid to speak out against all the false doctrine that was being taught there in, in Ephesus. Well, after staying a little while there in Philippi in June of 63, I believe he moved on uh, south around the Aegean Sea there down to Corinth, evidently to begin collecting the funds that they had uh, stored up for his trip to Spain. And while Paul was in Corinth, would have been a good time to send Artemis to nearby Crete in order to replace Titus. And that's probably, uh, the, it would have been the best time for sure. And that's probably when Paul sent Artemis down there to uh, substitute for Titus so that Titus could join Paul on the rest of the trip as he began to round up those resources from the various churches and get ready to go to Nicopolis, where they would spend the winter and then start out for Spain in the spring. Well, uh, evidently, uh, when Paul was arrested, not long after this, uh, he didn't get to take Titus with him, obviously, and so he dispatched Titus to Dalmatia instead of going to Nicopolis.
Well, Erastus had evidently been traveling with Paul from Philippi. And so when they got to Corinth, Erastus stayed behind there in Corinth after Paul then moved on across to Miletus. And uh, that seems to be uh, what we see here in Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, where it talks about Erastus staying there in Corinth. And evidently Trophimus was with Paul at that point when he crossed over from Corinth to Miletus. And Trophimus must have got sick on that boat ride. And uh, so he stays behind in Miletus while Paul travels on from Miletus into Asia to finish raising his funds uh, before he heads to Nicopolis. Paul left Trophimus there at Miletus sick, and he tells Timothy about that later in the second epistle uh, where he writes from Rome about that. Well, now it's uh, late in the summer of 63, uh, maybe even as late as August of 63, after coming to Miletus here, but before he had returned to Troas to get his belongings and head toward Nicopolis, Paul evidently made one last pass through the churches in Asia that he had established, his own churches there. And and if you look at the map, you can see how he must have planned his trip up to Troas. Instead of going by boat up to Troas, he decided to go through the churches there in Asia on his way up to the north end of them where Troas was. And that seems to be exactly what he, what he did here. He uh, left Miletus, went into the churches of Asia there, on his way up to Troas to pick up his cloak and, and books and parchments. But while he was in Asia, he got into trouble there somehow and got arrested. And it was while Paul was in Asia that I believe the churches in Asia turned away from him. Uh, we don't know exactly why they did that, but... Uh, there's a lot of possible ways we can explain that. But he tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, that all those in Asia turned away from him. Of course, it's speaking of individuals, evidently, but those individuals were attached to churches that he had established. So we have to assume that since the churches didn't take action against those individuals, that the churches must have agreed with that action. And so that implies that all the churches that Paul had established in Asia evidently turned away from him and did not want to support him or be involved with him any longer. Now, we have to ask the question, why in the world did those churches back away from him? Paul does not tell us. We know it could not have been related to Mark's courier work through that region earlier since Paul still had a good relationship with Mark to the very end. He tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 4 that uh, he wanted Mark to come to him there in prison in Rome again and be with him 
to provide services to him. We know from Paul's warning to the Ephesian elders a few years earlier in Acts chapter 20, verses 17 through 28, as well as from the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3, and from the epistles of Peter and Jude, that false teachers had arisen in Asia and were wreaking havoc among the churches there. Those very same churches that Paul had established, Paul himself predicted that false teachers would arise, and they did. After Paul left, that's exactly what happened. That's why Paul tells Timothy to really knuckle down and uh, refute those gainsayers and bring the church back around to sound doctrine. Well, we also know that the persecution was heating up at this time, and the Jewish zealots were pushing all the diaspora Jews, including the Jewish Christians, toward participation in an upcoming revolt. They were already pushing for that. So the turning away of that whole group of churches away from Paul could have been related to the general persecution and the apostasy that was starting to happen all over the Roman Empire, and especially in those areas of Turkey that had large Jewish communities like the province of Asia did. And I believe it was during Paul's travel among those churches in Asia that turned away from him that he crossed paths with some Jews who wanted to eliminate him. This makes a lot of sense when we remember that it was the Jews from Asia who saw Paul in the temple in Jerusalem and stirred up the crowds to drag Paul out of the temple and beat him up. Acts chapter 21, verses 27 through 32. Now, all these references that I'm giving to Scripture are in the outline, so you don't need to write them down. Uh, just simply uh, email me and request the the PDF, and you'll have them. But there in Acts 21, where Paul was arrested in the temple and beaten, dragged out of the temple and beaten up, uh, it mentions the fact that it was the Jews from Asia who stirred up the crowd to do that. Paul mentioned these same Jews from Asia again in his trial before Felix. Acts chapter 24, verses 18 and 19. And it seems that he alludes to him also in his trial before Festus later, although he doesn't say Jews from Asia, he just simply says Jews. Acts chapter 26, verse 21. But at least two times he mentions those Jews from Asia specifically. And perhaps those same Jews that had got him arrested the first time we're now back in Asia there, and they spotted Paul in Asia on their own home turf this time and decided to finish the job that they had started in Jerusalem five years before. Paul had slipped through their fingers that first time, but they weren't about to let him slip through their fingers this time. They had him on their home turf where they could do something about it. You know, I have to wonder if any of them were among the 40 
Jews who vowed not to eat or drink until they killed Paul. It's possible. They'd been pretty hungry by this time, <laughs> five years later. Paul had eluded their grasp five years before, but the Asian Jews were determined not to let him get away this time. And evidently they succeeded in getting their grasp on him and, and putting him in prison again. It seems likely that Paul was arrested during this trip through the Asian churches that stretched from Miletus up to Troas. He never made it to Troas. He was arrested and evidently condemned, and because he was a Roman citizen, he was sent to Rome to appear in Nero's court and there be executed by beheading. That's the way Roman citizens were were killed. They weren't tortured to death. Uh, they were beheaded. That was the quickest, easiest, and most painless way to die was to be beheaded. It was over with quick. And so the Romans considered that a, a humane way to die. Uh, I'm not so sure they were right. Uh, I would rather have a lethal injection or something, but uh, after I'm already out of it and unconscious. But that was their way of uh, taking care of business for Roman citizens. Evidently, Paul was arrested in the summer of AD 63, probably the late summer, in August or so, uh, a year before the Neronic persecution broke out at a time when it was still safe enough for his co-workers to travel and work among the churches, as we see described in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9-13. through 13. Now, this is something that I didn't catch uh, until recently in my study. Uh, I was assuming that 2 Timothy was written from Rome, uh, under the Neuronic persecution. But uh, that's not the case. It could not be the case. And, and the reason why is because in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9-13, through 13, we see Paul describing all the travels of his co-workers. Timothy and Titus and Mark. All those guys were still out doing missionary work, traveling to various churches, that would not have been possible if the Neronic persecution had already broke out. And so this points to a time before the Neronic persecution when Paul was arrested and sent to Rome. So you can see why I place Paul's arrest now in the summer of AD 63 instead of the summer of 64 like I did uh, previously. Now, Paul is in Rome now, and he's writing to Timothy. Evidently, he was sent to Rome pretty quickly after he was arrested in Asia, and he wrote his second epistle to Timothy there from Rome, in which he urges Timothy to retrieve his belongings from Troas. You know, that's his cloak that he needed for the wintertime, and especially his books and parchments, to retrieve those things from Carpus and Troas and bring them to him 
in Rome, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13. He also instructed Timothy to pick up Mark and bring him with him because he's useful to Paul for some kind of service. 2 Timothy 4, verse 11. Now, we're not sure exactly what kind of service Mark was going to perform for Paul, but uh, I think there's some hints given here in 2 Timothy chapter 4 that will kind of, you know, give us a clue as to what Mark was going to be able to, to perform for uh, Paul. It's interesting that Mark was already back in the region of Turkey at this time. He had probably already delivered the book of Hebrews to Peter in Jerusalem and was now back in the area bringing Peter's first epistle to those churches there in Turkey. We know that that's where Peter addressed those, that epistle to, was those churches in Turkey, specifically in Pontus and Bithynia, Cappadocia, and Asia. And so Mark is here delivering that epistle of, of Peter to those churches in Turkey. And that's why he's right there close to uh, where Timothy is, and Timothy's able to bring him with him. Evidently, Paul knew about Mark being in that area, either as a result of him being there at the same time as Mark showed up, or uh, there's a fellow by the name of Onesiphorus who came to Rome looking for Paul to find him and refresh him. And Onesiphorus may have told Paul that Mark had showed up in Turkey uh, after Paul was arrested there. But any, either way, uh, Paul was aware of Mark being there in the area and tells Timothy to bring Mark with him when he comes because Mark was useful to Paul for some kind of service. Now, I think the answer uh, to our question about what kind of service that was is found right there in 2 Timothy chapter 4 where he talks about bringing the books and parchments with him to Rome. Mark was so adept at scribal and courier services Perhaps Paul was planning to entrust his collection of books and parchments to Mark so that he could either copy them, distribute them through the churches, or maybe just simply take them back to Peter in Jerusalem. We don't know which it was, or maybe none of those things, but uh, that would be the most likely thing, I would guess, is that Mark was going to take those books and parchments and take them back to Peter, as, you know, probably. Uh, and maybe as well, on his way to Peter, uh, copy them and distribute them to the various churches that didn't have copies of them. Okay, by the time Paul wrote to Timothy in prison in Rome, he had evidently been in Rome long enough for Onesiphorus to come looking for him. Now, we don't know how long that would be, but it probably several weeks for sure. 
And so that would put it in in uh, September, at least, by the time Onesiphorus found him there in Rome. Paul said he was suffering hardship while imprisoned as a criminal. He mentions the fact that he was in chains, which uh, would mean that he was probably in the uh, dungeon, the maritime dungeon or whatever it is, uh, that's there in Rome, famous prison where they were put in chains. He was imprisoned like a criminal. He wasn't kept in the in the house arrest like he was before. He was actually put in chains in a prison, in the dungeon. Imprisoned like a criminal, he says in Second Timothy chapter two, verse nine. In Second Timothy chapter one, verse sixteen, he mentions the chains. He was in, he was. Uh, in chains, and that Onesiphorus was not ashamed of him, not ashamed to come to him and visit him there in the dungeon uh, in his chains. It was probably Onesiphorus then who took that letter that Paul wrote to Timothy and brought it back to Timothy. Uh, That would be the best guess uh, because Paul says so much about Onesiphorus here, and uh, so he's probably mentioning that as a way to guarantee uh, Onesiphorus uh, being recognized as the proper one to be bearing that letter back to Timothy. And that letter, of course, to Timothy urged Timothy to make every effort. He repeats that phrase twice. He says on two different occasions there, verse 9 and verse 21, to make every effort. That's like saying double time. Hurry up. Get here fast. Don't delay. Make every effort to come to him soon before winter gets there. And, uh, and to be sure and bring that cloak with him uh, before winter gets there. Well, I think that's uh, a good summary of this activity of Paul after he was released from prison the first time down until his second arrest and imprisonment in the late summer and early fall of 63. So he was only out of prison for about six or seven months. If we go from March at the earliest, when he could have been released, it'd be April, May, June, July, August, September, before he was imprisoned. Uh, That's about six months, five or six months before he was back in prison again. Uh, That's not very long. Uh, He didn't have much freedom there. Just amazing what he was able to accomplish in such a short time. Okay, well, I think that pretty well wraps up our study of Apostle Paul and his writings. And we know that shortly after this, uh, probably in the wintertime, his trial was brought up before Nero. And probably sometime early in 64 AD, he passed away. Uh, and was killed there and beheaded there in Rome, 
probably before the Neuronic persecution broke out. At least that's my way of reading it here. If he survived another year in prison there in Rome, then he would have lived until the Neuronic persecution, at which time he certainly would have been killed by Nero. So either way, uh, whether he was killed beforehand or waited until the Neuronic persecution, he ended his life there in prison in Rome in 63 or 64 A.D. Okay, next time we're going to be looking at Peter's first epistle uh, and the circumstances surrounding its composition and its distribution among the churches in Turkey. We already hinted at that a little bit, uh, but I want to talk a little bit more about uh, how Mark and Peter hooked up there in Jerusalem and how Peter sent Mark back to uh, Turkey with that first epistle. And we'll talk a little bit about the contents of it and uh, what it implies about the date of the book of Revelation as well and some other things. So I hope all of you have a, a good week this week and I really appreciate your listening and we'll talk to you next time.